Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. So I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. And if you are new to the podcast, well, welcome. We're glad that you are with us. And the way this uh, show runs is I read a chapter from uh, one of the books that I've written right now, uh, we're in the middle of uh, my first novel called Showdown in the Yukon. And then once that chapter is over, then I provide a little commentary, maybe some behind the scenes, some Easter eggs, uh, some goodies on the other side to kind of talk about what went into the writing of this chapter or this this book. So uh, I'm glad that you are here. I'm especially glad to be with you right now. My family just wrapped up about three weeks of COVID quarantine. I had, I got it. And then about the time my, uh, my time period was over, uh, the disease was gone and we were, I was about to get ready for work. We tested, one of the kids was acting up. So we tested her and then we found out she had it. So that was another two weeks. So I've been kind of out of it for about three weeks and I'm glad to be uh, back to work and back to getting out of the house and back to all kinds of stuff. I'm just beside myself grateful. I'm glad that you are here listening and uh, we will get to uh, the next chapter in Showdown in the Yukon right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by the Casey Jackson in South Acre series. I am proud to announce that the final book, Carry That Weight, is out in Amazon stores. You can get that in a physical book or in an ebook for your Kindle. Uh, this is uh, a story that has taken about a year to get released. It's a four-part story, and all four parts are out, so you can have the whole series. Uh, go check out the link in the show notes and grab your own copy of Carry That Weight, or if you haven't uh, looked at the whole series, you can grab the whole series uh, there as well. And now, here's our chapter. Chapter 16 Once he was alone again, Monterey pulled the stone back out to examine it. He hadn't realized he had been squeezing it during the card game. Just then, the light in the nearby lantern died, leaving Monterey once again in the dark. He held the stone in his open palm and hoped to see something. He did. The stone glowed faintly. It had not glowed before, or had it. Monterey was no longer sure. Then there was a great clatter and banging from across the water. The stranger was not taking his loss well, Monterey thought, and began to consider it a pretty foolish idea to have someone who was set to kill him only moments earlier guide him through the dark and twisted tunnels. The thought entered Monterey's mind to find a crack in the stone walls and hide there. How's it coming? Monterey shouted to the man to cross the pond. Don't rush me, sir, the man spat. Don't rush me. Then came the jarring jangle of many metal objects falling into one another. It reminded Monterey of a time he had been quite frustrated in the kitchen and pushed all of the pots and pans onto the floor. Paps gave him quite the scolding for that. Are you all right? Monterey called. No reply came from the other side of the water. Monterey saw the small pin light go out suddenly. Hello? Again the thought occurred to Monterey to hide in a crack in the cave wall. He put the glowing stone in his pocket and began to run his hands over the surface of the rocky walls. 
A crack made itself known to him, and Monterey slid inside, disappearing into the dark cocoon. For the first time, the dark felt like the safest place he could be. A moment later, he heard the splash of the man coming out of the water. Sorry that took so long, he said with a forced chuckle. <laughs> I was looking for... His voice trailed off. There was an uncomfortable silence, and all Monterey could hear was the sound of the man's boots twisting on the ground. Monterey pictured the man turning this way and that looking for him. But there's no way, the man said to himself, more walking. No, 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 how, how good? He stopped suddenly. But it's the only answer. But how would he know? But how did he beat me? No one has beaten me. Every one of them that's found me, they've paid up. They've paid dearly. More searching, more frustration. Monterey could hear the anger welling up in the man in black. She's involved, he said. I don't know how. She'll do anything to avoid justice. Then the sounds of the man searching for something made Monterey press himself further back into the rock. Well, the man said to himself, I know the shortcut, and he does not. So we'll see who is wise and who is the fool. With that, Monterey heard the man in black take off running. Monterey felt the air brush his face as the man in black rushed by where he hid. After a moment, Monterey stepped out and started to follow, hoping this would lead him out. As he followed the sounds of the man in black, he became acutely aware that not all of the thoughts in his head were his own. They felt like his own, or at least they were in his voice, but they were thoughts he would never have entertained before. From time to time, he would lose the sound of the stranger, but yet know when and where to turn and pick up the trail again. He would know when to stop and when to begin the chase again. He followed the man in black like this for a long while. He certainly did not mind the thoughts, but it was starting to unsettle him as much as it thrilled him. After a few more turns, Monterey started to hear clanking noises and music and laughter again, the very kinds of sounds the miners at the Hayes house would make from time to time to let off some steam. Must be the pirates, Monterey said to himself, and he saw the man in black stop suddenly in front of him. His silhouette carved through the flicker of torchlight ahead. Monterey realized he had spoken out loud and gnashed his teeth in disgust. He dropped to his knees. A boulder lay between the stranger and himself. Monterey put both hands over his mouth to stifle his breathing. Footsteps came closer and closer to where he hid. They stopped. He looked up and could see the eye patch glimmer in the faint light. Monterey knew if his hunter looked down, he would be captured for sure. Please don't look down, was all Monterey repeated to himself for two agonizing seconds. Then the sound of a group of pirates spilled into the tunnel behind Monterey. They were laughing and joking with one another, but suddenly stopped. Monterey assumed they saw the man in black standing there. He hoped they failed to see him hiding. What have we here? One of the pirates spoke. Did we leave the front door open again? There was the sound of swords exiting their sheaths. I guess we'll have to teach this one a lesson too, another pirate said. Maybe this time we'll make our point. Monterey saw the man in black draw a pistol from his jacket. You don't want to do this, the man in black growled. No, the first pirate said. We do. You don't belong here, see? We need to make it so clear to you you'll never trespass again. The other pirates grunted their agreement. You break into our home, and we're bound by duty to defend it. It's not personal. It's a matter of honor, you understand. 
Monterey felt the stone in his pocket start to get warm. He quickly placed his hand over it as if the others would see the heat somehow. A thought entered Monterey's head to pick up a rock nearby and throw it down the tunnel. He did, and the moment the stone connected with a wall, the man in black fired a shot from his weapon. A bolt of light flew out one end of it, momentarily lighting up the tunnel. Monterey could then see five surprised pirates standing twenty feet behind him. He was not sure if the bolt made him visible to everyone or not. The bolt of light missed the pirates but caused some of the tunnel wall to crumble to the ground. Without needing any more encouragement, the pirates, still with swords drawn, sprinted in attack toward the stranger. There was the sound of clashing metal all around Monterey's head, along with a series of light flashes as the man in black fired his weapon. The stone in Monterey's pocket was now so hot he worried it might burn his leg. Then the thought came to mind to get up and run. Monterey did not need a second prompt. He stood up, hopped over the rock he'd been using for shelter, pushed past the man in black, and ran as fast as he could. Monterey heard a great roar behind him, and then light bolts began to whiz past his head as he ran and ran and ran. I will find you, Lillian, Monterey heard the man shout. No matter how long it takes, you cannot hide from me. You will face your judgment. It was the last thing Monterey heard the man say. All that was left was the sound of the fighting far behind him. Monterey ran and ran. Before too long, he spied a large white dot ahead of him. The speck grew bigger and bigger. Eventually, Monterey made out objects in the dot, like trees and hills and grass. The way out. He dug in and ran even faster than he thought he could go. Exactly three moments later, Monterey exited the tunnel and entered the bright sunshine of a new day. Had he just spent all night in there? Monterey was not sure if the others would follow him out of the tunnel. So while he was glad to be breathing fresh air again, he ran away from the mountain at least a mile before stopping to get a view of his surroundings. Stopping to catch his breath, he was now at the edge of a wood of some kind. Grand bristly pines spread out in all directions. He looked back in the direction of the tunnel and saw a long, spiny row of mountain peaks stretch out in front of him. On the one hand, he was grateful to have made it through the mountains without having to go over them. On the other hand, he wished he'd not lost track of his companions. His companions! He had to see if they were all right. How would he find them? How would he not get caught? He remembered his pearl-handled pistol and drew it. Monterey fixed his eyes on the cave's mouth and drew a deep breath of confidence. Just before he charged back into the cave, he remembered his hot leg. Monterey stopped, reached into his pocket, and pulled out the stone. It was still quite warm, and he was suddenly distracted to see what it was he had found there in the belly of the cave. It did not resemble any stone he knew. Was it a pearl? That was what it most closely resembled, but pearls don't glow or change temperature at will. Monterey was not sure how, but he knew this small something had helped him out of danger. He kissed it and put it back in his pocket. Monterey began to venture back to the cave. With every step, he hoped to see his friends emerge so he would not have to deal with the dangers inside. As he crept his way closer, he heard the sound of voices. He stopped moving toward the cave and found an outcropping of rock in the direction of the voices and waited there for a few minutes. The words were not smooth to make out, so he peeked his head over the rocks to see if the people might be friendly or not. What he saw made him smile from ear to ear. Monterey, as I live and breathe, laughed Mac. In re-listening to this chapter... I realized there are no Easter eggs, there are no special details, there's no hidden behind the scenes uh, 
stuff uh, to inform you. Uh, but I was remembering with great pain inside of my soul um, the issue that I keep running into with this pearl. Uh, when I first published Shodan in the Yukon, I really wanted to keep the pearl a secret. And so I didn't want to advertise it in the title. I didn't want to call this book one in a series because it was the only one out at the time. It still is at the moment of this recording, but we're really working hard on getting book two uh, figured out um, where the pearl factors in much, much more. Um, and the purpose of that was, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, uh, the Hobbit being sort of the the springboard for a lot of what happens in this book. Um, what I I think I've mentioned this before, but what I really liked about The Hobbit versus The Lord of the Rings is that in The Hobbit, you get this ring and it's kind of cool, but you really don't know what it is. But it um, it's fun. It's a fun little thing that helps Bilbo get through the adventures that he has. And it's no big deal. And then you discover in Lord of the Rings that it's a much bigger deal and it has much more weight and significance. So I really like that aspect of it. Uh, don't worry, I did not use the Lord of the Rings as the spine for the next book. So something completely different, but it's that same kind of thing where in the next book, the pearl takes on much more significance than it does in this book. But one of the issues, knowing that that's where I was headed, is what qualities does this pearl have? What is the pearl? And if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that my day job is that of a pastor. And possibly you know that one of the reasons that I got into writing at all was to communicate things about my faith and the Christian faith and who Jesus is and what God can do in a life that is surrendered to Jesus. Uh, I want to communicate that well. You know, when I say that stories have a tremendous power for good, that's the good that I'm hoping uh, to transmit out. And um, so in a way, I was always trying to wrestle with what level of um, God's attributes does this pearl have? And is it an angel? Is it a representative of the Holy Spirit? Is it Jesus? Like I, there was all kinds of things I was trying to figure out. And the longer I tried to, I think there was a, there was a version of this that went through some uh, beta testing with some readers. And something that came back was there was enough talking about both the God of the Bible in this book that you would read in the Bible and understand, and this pearl that also seemed to have godlike abilities, that there was some confusion as to what was the um, spiritual makeup of the reality of this world that I'd created. So I've intentionally taken any reference of spirituality out of the dialogue um, between the characters and have left this pearl to sort of be a representative of all of those supernatural things. Um, but I really haven't nailed down what that is. And so um, there's this theory, well, actually that's not a theory, there's two practices in writing long form. And one is 
uh, called pantsing or discovery writing where you sit down with a pad of paper and just start writing stuff down. And then in the editing process, you kind of make sense out of it, but you're kind of writing blind into the future the whole time you're writing. It's like writing from the seat of your pants. Then there's outlining where you sit down and it's, it's similar, but you're writing with much, um, you're, you're coming up with the structure that you're going to write into the future on. So they're outlining, I guess, is writing by the seat of your pants, but you're able to fix things a little faster and easier because you're dealing with a shorter document. And most of my writing has been more on the writing from the seat of your pants model and the novel. I just couldn't make it make sense that way. So I ended up outlining it, but then there's this thing of knowing, well, I'd like to have a three book series and the Pearl factor is in great, but I don't quite have it all figured out as to what that is. So actually the aspect of the Pearl, we are still trying to figure out what that is. So I'm still in the middle of, of the revisions on book two and it's getting closer, like both, um, uh, the Pearl and some other aspects are getting more and more defined as we ride along. Um, but I, I have a suspicion that if I finish book three and then come back to this one, I go, oh, I missed some stuff. As opposed to if you haven't read uh, my series, Casey Jackson and Southacre, I wrote all four of those short books at once and revised them all together and then released them over time. Um, but there was uh, enough details that were being strung throughout all four books that I kind of had to write all of it and then revise all of it together. And that was much more outlined all the way through and I could figure out, oh, well, this aspect needs to play in, this aspect in book three needs to really get a start in book one and all, the, all that kind of stuff. So I'm playing with all different kinds of ways to uh, write books and some are, more pleasant in ways and some are more painful in ways, but uh, that's sort of what's going on. So throughout the rest of this book, um, you're, the, the Pearl is gonna have some qualities and then if you get to book two, it's gonna have even uh, more. And uh, you can just know that uh, things are developing. It's kind of like, I think this is true, when you see the, the first Lord of the Rings movie and Gollum shows up for the first time, you just barely see him. Cause I think they hadn't quite figured out the design of the CGI character of Gollum. So you just see his eyes. And then when you actually see Gollum in the two towers in full glory, uh, he looks very different than just that little shot if you went back and watched that. So I think there's, there is still that thing of like, ah, I, I vaguely know what I'm doing. Um, but uh, we're still kind of honing it over time. So I think that's a lot like life. You know, uh, we kind of know what we're doing. And then over time, we we discover, oh, that worked or that didn't work. And we make revisions as we go. So anyway, uh, if you are working on a book and writing stuff, just know it's supposed to be fun. And even the difficult stuff is fun in its way as you say oh well that worked that didn't and i can change it you can always change it that's what revisions are for so uh i hope that's an encouragement to you if you're writing i hope that's an encouragement too if you're not writing you're just living your life revision is just part of the thing um but that's 
sort of what was going on in uh, this chapter of Showdown in the Yukon. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying this uh, program. And I would encourage you to let other people know if, if um, they would be interested in stories like this. Uh, let them know, share it out on the socials, uh, subscribe to this show, share this show around and all those things, whatever the algorithm is and, and gets that out. That would be a help. If you would like to swing over to my Amazon page and leave some ratings and reviews on the books, that helps them get into uh, the feed of other people as well but mostly i'm just glad that you're here i'm glad that you're listening and i hope you have a great week and i'll see you back here next time